Hello, everyone, and welcome. This is Victoria Stapleton, Director of School and Library Marketing at Little Brown Books for Young Readers, and I'm rather ridiculously excited to welcome you, gentle listeners, to our podcast today. For my guest is one of my very favorite authors, a man of of a strange and unique and subtle imagination for from his pen have come stories of daring do and high adventure and high stakes on high seas involving one of my favorite series ever, Vampirates. Yes, this man with me all the way from Crouch End, a leafy place in London, is Justin <laughs> Somper. Welcome, Justin. Thank you very much, Victoria. Great to be here. Uh, Justin, you are the author of one of my favorite series, Vampirates, because it is the uh, the Reese's candy of, of, of fiction, for it is not just vampires who are pirates, it is pirates who are vampires, and they're all together in a, in a deliciously frightening uh, and deceptively uh, um, strange series of six books that take place in a dystopian waterlogged future. Um, but you're a man of inventiveness, so you have, you have switched gears and given us uh, a sort of a Game of Thrones uh, series with allies and assassins and its successor, a Conspiracy of Princes, and you make me smile all day long. <laughs> That's good to hear. But you have made a mystery for me, which I beg you to resolve now. I know that England and, and British places are filled with interesting names that we here do not have the depth or inventiveness uh, to mimic, but Crouch End, please explain. <laughs> Crouch End is somewhere that I have lived for over 20 years. Some people um, like to call it Crouchand because they feel it sounds a bit posher than Crouch End. Uh, <laughs> but I call it Crouch End. But I honestly do not know why it's called Crouch End. Um, you may have seen the movie Shaun of the Dead. Um, no. Well, it's a comic British no, 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 no. I have seen Shaun of the Dead. Are you saying you live in the neighborhood in which Shaun of the Dead, the immortal classic, takes place? I, I am so in that neighborhood that my convenience store, literally two minutes away from me, is the store that the zombies go into. <gasps> my road is in that territory. I do and not... I used, to, I used to be in the gym side by side with Simon Pegg in my gym-going days. You could not have made me love you more, I didn't think, and yet now I love you more. Well, we just keep learning stuff about each other. Uh, it is a long and beautiful uh, relationship that you and I have had together. Um, I'm so desperately sorry you're not with me side by side doing this podcast. Likewise. But I'm happy to have you with us now. Uh, Justin, thank you so very much for being with us. I'm going to have you start by telling us in two or three sentences about your brand new series, Allies and Assassins. I was thinking about how best to describe Allies and Assassins, and handily, I opened my gorgeous new edition of the little brown copy of A Conspiracy of Princes earlier, uh, where it says on the cover, tales of high-stakes betrayal and political machinations in a court where no one can be trusted and everyone is a suspect. And I feel like that nails what these books are about Trust nobody, suspect everyone. It's my favorite kind of story. <laughs> Mine too. So let's just jump right into this. Um, I am a big fan of YA Lit because I think one of the big 
uh, themes of YA Lit is that it's it, that it's young people taking control for themselves the first time they're making their own decisions and recreating the world in their own image. And a lot of your book has to do with the ways in which they do this. So, as Lord Acton once said, power tends to corrupt. Absolute power corrupts absolutely. The plot of Allies and Assassins is driven by this quest for power, but your main character, Jared, is acquiring it, I think, almost by accident. Certainly it's not intended on his part. What would you like the readers of the series to think about power? I think above all, I'd like readers of the series to think that they have power, and they may not always think that they do. I don't think when I was a teenager, I felt very powerful. Um, And... You're right. I mean, Jared, well, it's not an accident that he acquires power because, of course, he is the Edling or the nominated heir to his murdered brother, Prince Anders. But whilst Anders was very carefully groomed for power and and really enjoyed the whole trappings of being the ruler, that's of really very little interest to Jared. And he was kind of coasting along and hoping that Anders would would have a child and he wouldn't have to inherit this this job of being the ruler. But the way fate has worked out is that his brother's been assassinated, he's got the top job, he's got to um, make the princedom safe, he's got to solve that murder, and he's got to establish his own authority. So for your average 16-year-old, that is quite a lot that you have on your plate. Um, But I suppose what I'm doing a little bit in these books as I feel I did in Vampirates is, although I'm writing in this parallel world, this fantasy with a small F world, if you like, what I'm trying to do is to write about really real issues, both for my readers and also, I guess, for myself. So when Jared becomes ruler, he finds where he knows that there's a council of 12 who are supporting him. And, um, you know, it, it, he has to go to them and put forward his views, and, and they are quite capable of arguing with him, and they do. So quite quickly, he realizes that although he's the ruler, there are other people with louder voices which might drown out his. There are other more charismatic people who can make a play for power and influence. For instance, his cousin, Axel, um, and even his mother, Queen Ellen, who, you know, we can kind of tell the person she is because she's named herself queen. It's not an official title. Um, but she's the one who, who really shows him very quickly that his power isn't all that he might think because his first job is to decide who is going to be his Edling, who's going to be his heir if the worst happens. And he's in no doubt at all that he wants his younger brother, Edwin, to have that job. And immediately his mum says, no, that's not going to work. You need to have cousin Axel. He needs to be your heir because we need to contain his threat. So very quickly, Jared comes to see that being prince of Archenfeld does not mean you're necessarily all powerful. But over the course of the first book, and perhaps even more so a conspiracy of princes, I think we start to see Jared realizing the nascent power within him and perhaps through his friendship with Aster Peck, quite an unlikely friendship, uh, more than anything, you know, they, they kind of nurture the power within each other. I really love what you've said here uh, and framing it against the backdrop of you as a, as a teen not knowing that you had power. I think to 
well, okay, I was almost editorial about other people's books, but I'll, uh, I'll be careful there. I think there are many series which position the main character as the one, the chosen one, for whatever reason, and their power is obvious or quickly revealed. What I love about your book is that it's um, ambivalent and not, uh, power is not so cut and dried uh, for Jared. And he does have to think about these competing interests. And I find the whole sort of idea of uh, stepping into an adult role at his age fascinating how you've handled this. Um, of course, you have left out, you know, he's 16. He has to be an adult and he has hormones to go along <laughs> with this. <laughs> he does. I mean, his hormones get a little bit of stage time, but in re in reality, with everything he has to deal with, the hormones don't get a huge amount of, uh, of play thus far. Well, you mentioned Asta, and I think she's an interesting counterpoint uh, to Jared. I mean, obviously, she is completely awesome, and, and that <laughs> is, you know, she is. She is. I think uh, she's almost my favorite character. Um, I okay. think talking about um, how, you know, the concepts of power and and finding it and finding how your role works within a whole field of other people who have their interests. Um, we've been talking a lot, at least in this country, about gender and YA. Um, I'm intrigued, you as a male author, obviously male authors can write women characters and very fluent, interesting women characters, but how did you think about her gender in terms of the power relationships in this book? And did you feel any special sort of um, um, pressure to do that? That's a really interesting question. Um, I think where I'm coming from is I've always been an author as comfortable writing strong women characters as writing the male characters, sometimes maybe more comfortable writing strong women characters. So, you know, all the way through uh, Vampirates, you'll see those strong characters, whether it's Grace or whether it's Cheng Li or obviously one of my favorites, Lady Lola. Um, and so I felt very comfortable coming to Allies to, to do that again. Um, I don't know... I don't know that I angsted particularly about, say, uh, how convincing she would be as a female character any more than I would do over Jared or Axel um, as being male characters, because obviously the focus shifts. And in a way, one of my ideas behind this series was that it would almost be like a diamond. Well, I can, I can aim for that. But uh, each facet would show a different character and we would just keep moving around this jewel and looking at things from a different perspective. Um, and so what was fun for me, I guess, is that even within the female characters, say, you move from Asta, who's very much a blunt instrument. She's arrived in court from the settlement. She's been brought here by her uncle, who's a bit of a power player. But she, she doesn't even understand the rules and the etiquette, let alone play by them. Uh, but she's just got this fantastic vigor and interest in people. Uh, but I think it's, you know, if you contrast her with a character like Lady Cole, Axel's younger sister, who is quite a shrewd cookie, doesn't really have much power um, and that she doesn't have much power it's not because she's the girl in the family it just happens that it's Axel her older brother who again that family have fixated on as being the one to 
uh, to take their fortunes forward. And one of the fun things that we get to see uh, in A Conspiracy of Princes is actually we start to see uh, some weaknesses within Axel and we start to see maybe he's actually in this position because he's got this really pushy father and then he's got the whole weight of the, the Blacksland dynasty pushing him forward. But then you've got Lady Cole who just seems to be running rings around everybody and she might be a far better power player and ultimately maybe a better ruler than, than any of the others. So it's interesting to me, so I think I, this is what keeps fascinating me about these this, these books and these characters, and, and you've referred to it as like, there's different sources of power, and then there's different ideas of the perception of power. Is the perception of power really the source of it, or are, are there other elements? And and the, the answer to that question is, well, it comes from all sorts of different places, and they're all competing together, and you do not know from moment to moment who will win and who will lose, and even winning and losing is sort of um, not the most interesting part of that question. It's sort of the game itself um, can can be more fascinating than the and than how the game will turn out. Um, I'm intrigued when you're talking about um, these Lady Cole and and oh, you mentioned Cheng Li. Oh my God, I love that character. Oh my God. Um, <laughs> I, I'm sorry. I lo- I fell in love with vampires from the first book when I saw that cover and saw her and was just like oh. Um, but what do you think succeeds for you as a reader in, in thinking about the, in reading other characters and how do you try to construct them in the most, in the way that's most satisfactory for your readers? I, I love reading books with strong characters and I love reading books that have got a lot of characters in them. And I think for me, you know, you really know when you're reading a good book, when you're following the trajectory of one character and you come to the end of that, that chapter or that section and you're just, you don't want to leave that character. You're so in their head and, and in their dilemmas. You turn the page, you go into the next character and then just as suddenly you're, you're immersed in that character. Um, I've recently read two fantastic novels, one Australian, one American, both by women, um, both sort of family stories and, and I had exactly that experience where I was going through and I was thinking no let me stay with this character I really love this character um, and that I hope is is what I well that's what I'm striving to deliver well I think you've given us uh, certainly an expansive cast of interesting uh, I, I do like the word toothsome because there's so much to chew over in these characters and how they interact with each other. And, and I think it's such a generous, expansive world, while at the same time being um, um, brutal, in a way. Yeah, well, I, I have had to be brutal. They say murder your darlings, and, you know, as, as you will know, uh, within Vampirates, there, there had to be some brutal moments towards the end of the sequence. And with allies, I sort of had this sense from the beginning that, that it was going to be pretty brutal. Um, and, well, you know, we start, we start it, with a murder, and yeah, we, have a, we have the odd decapitation in book two. Um, the odd decapitation, I'm sorry, I'm just amusing. Um, well, I mean, the, it's power has consequences. Exercising power has consequences, and I think the the logic of the story shows those consequences very well. I think uh, I think we come now to where does your personal preference uh, lie: justice or revenge? Which one for you? 
I feel like uh, my gut says revenge. It just it just feels like there's a better story waiting to be told. And I think in terms of allies and assassins, revenge is more appropriate because justice suggests to me that, that you have a right to power to begin with. And I think one of the things that I don't even know that I'm trying to show this actively in allies and assassins, but it seems to have come to the fore, is, is that really it's all just a, a question of perspective. So rulers like Prince Jared may appear to have a divine right to rule, but arguably it's just down to the opportunism of his forebears. So actually who the good guys are and who the bad guys are is in many ways a question of perspective in these stories. And I would argue quite often in life. Definitely. Definitely. And the, and the allowing the different characters to come forward and have their own sort of view about things reinforces that idea. Going back to what we're, we talked about initially with Jared being almost an accidental king because, uh, you know, it's not accidental because someone planned to assassinate his brother, but he certainly didn't intend for that to happen. That sort of just the latest installment in a series of almost arbitrary moments that, are, that give us this constellation of people and events and attitudes. And, and I think it's interesting for teens to read this story and sort of take that back into their own lives, thinking about what, how did they get to their own set of, of people and places and, and consequences that they have to make. So thank you for yeah, that. And, you know, if, if Jared's not an accidental ruler, he's certainly an unlikely one. He's ill-equipped. But actually, you know, as we go on this journey with him, and particularly in A Conspiracy of Princes, when we go on this journey with him beyond the gates of his princedom, and we go and see him um, talking to neighboring states about potential alliances, actually we start to see as he has to make his own rules on the hoof, he could be a very good ruler. Um, you know, I mean, he's not right 100% of the time, Sometimes his honour is a little bit questionable, but, you know, he's new to this and he's young. But on the whole, I think he makes a pretty good fist of it, uh, you know, when compared to a lot of the showier, more experienced power players. I'm going to leave us with this, because I think, you know, this is... This is the tagline that we put on the first novel, and, and, and I think it'll suck readers in from the beginning, but it gives them a sense of the consequences. To take his throne, they'll have to take his life. And I think that's not just his physical life, but it's so much more than that. And, and, and having readers ponder all the levels of what you've given them in this series, uh, I think is going to be a tremendous experience. Uh, Justin, thank you so much for being our guest on this episode of the podcast. Um, Such a pleasure. Thank you so much for, well, everything you do um, and for having me on. We, uh, we look forward to the next installment and to whatever it is you're doing next. I know you have many irons in the fire and yours is a fluent, subtle and active mind. <laughs> thank you. Thank you very much. Everyone, thank you for joining us. I want to say hi to my mom because I know that she's listening. And yes, I, I refrained from telling tales of my childhood. But believe me, they were behind the questions. Justice or revenge? Pick a side and discuss. 
This has been Victoria Stapleton with Justin Somper, author of the new series Allies and Assassins. The forthcoming book Conspiracy of Princes is the latest installment. You've been listening to the Little Brown School podcast. Thanks, everyone. See you next time. Music